Well, very Merry Christmas, West Cabarrus Church family. Grateful to have you tuning in this morning as we celebrate the birth of Christ our Savior. And so grab your cup of coffee, go ahead and grab your Bible and make your way to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the last song of our Christmas songs series. And it's going to be the Song of Simeon. The Song of Simeon is where we're going to be at. And some of you have made it to this point. Uh, presents have been opened and just like, I arrived, finally, you know, I made it, I, I, I made it through the shopping, I made it through the wrapping of the presents, the work parties, and the busyness of Christmas, and you're like, okay, I get to just pause just for a second and, and, and think on Christ. And I would encourage you to do that, not just listen to it this morning, but meditate on it and think about it throughout the day, because what we're going to see in this passage is this man, Simeon, who has fought through a lot of the clutter and a lot of the busyness of life and the hustle and bustle, and he makes a point to encounter Christ, to see Christ, to worship Christ. And that's my prayer for, for me and for you today, that we would worship Jesus as we focus in on him this morning. So let's look, Luke chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 22, and it says this, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him, that's Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, or set apart to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, and this is his song, this is the last song that we'll look at this Christmas. It says this in verse 29, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Let's pray this morning. Lord, as we look at this passage, I ask that your spirit would help. Allow us to focus on Christ, just like the Spirit allowed Simeon to focus on Christ. Our hearts long for peace and hope for salvation. So help us to see and understand both of these today. And as we cherish these truths of peace and salvation, Lord, may we stand amazed. You came for anyone who would look to you for forgiveness of sins. And as we think about Christmas, it is a rescue mission where you came to save any who would believe in you. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming for us when we needed your help. Thank you for being our Redeemer and our Savior. And Lord, help us to think well on you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As Simeon encounters and worships Christ, sings to him, he first sees the poverty of of Christ at Christmas. He first sees the poverty of Christ at Christmas. 
Now, these first few verses that I read, a lot of times we'll skim through them because we're like, what what is this all about? And I want to slow down and unpack them a little bit because it's showing us an amazing truth about what Christ did for us at Christmas. It starts and it kind of sets the scene of what Mary and Joseph are doing. If you want to read more in depth, you go back to Leviticus chapter 12. And in Leviticus chapter 12, God says to his people, I want you to come, the firstborn that you have, bring him to the temple and make a, an offering. And it's, it's interesting, if you actually go to the book of Leviticus, you'll see that God actually required that the people would bring a, a lamb. And that lamb would be sacrificed. And then also turtle doves would be sacrificed. And the reason why God would say, when you have your firstborn, you want to come and worship me and bring a lamb, is because it would remind them of what happened in Egypt. For those of you that know your Bible, in the Old Testament, God frees and rescues. He redeems his people. And the way he does that is by bringing these plagues, or what I would even say miracles, that the people of Egypt would see the great power and might of God. And the last plague that he brings is this angel of death. But he said, if you believe in the Lord God, and you want to be saved and rescued, then what you do is you take this lamb and you sacrifice it and put the blood over the doorpost. And then if those who don't do that, your firstborn will die. So when this is going on, what's happening is God's people are remembering how God rescued them in the past. They're bringing a a lamb to remember the lamb that was slain to rescue their forefathers in the generations past. But what we see is that Joseph and Mary, they didn't bring a lamb. They brought just turtle doves or two young pigeons. And what that is a statement is that they were a poor family. They couldn't afford the lamb. And there's some irony there because they bring these these birds in to, to worship God and make the sacrifice. But what's amazing is they hold the lamb of God that's come to take away the sin of the world. There's some irony and beauty that we find there. But when we read these words, a pair of pigeons or a pair of turtle doves, what it tells us is that Jesus was not born of middle class. He was born poor. And I want that to sink in to our hearts and our minds for a minute. The one who walks on streets of gold and who has a kingdom beyond anything this world could offer us became poor. What that means is that poverty is not a sin. Poverty is not a shameful thing in and of itself. Jesus was from a poor family. Poverty is not a sign of God's disapproval on people. You see, God wasn't disapproved with Mary and Joseph. No, what we've seen the previous weeks is that God looked on them and chose them to be the parents of Christ. But the third and probably most important thing that we can see about this is that poverty doesn't prevent a person from worshiping God. It doesn't prevent a person from worshiping God. Mary and Joseph know God's word and they want to be obedient to it. And so they bring what God has given them, what God has blessed them with. They're their first and their best and they worship the Lord. Listen, understanding the, the reality that Christ chose a poor family to be born into should encourage us 
if you feel poor, or you feel downtrodden, or you feel second class, Jesus identifies with these people first. And God had a plan for his family. He has a plan for you. Jesus became poor that we, that we might be rich in the glory of God. Paul, later on in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, helps us understand this a little bit more. And, and all of chapter 8 kind of highlights this truth and this beauty that Christ became poor for us. And this is what it says in verse 9 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his, by his poverty might become rich. Might become rich. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose to become poor so that he could rescue and save us from our sins. He became poor that we might be rich, and not in a financial sense, but in the glories of God. This is what Jesus has done. He became poor to bridge the gap, to get us to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is what Jesus has done. And what I love about this is because we see, because we see that Jesus, yes, he became poor, but he was also rich, shows us that there's also no sin in being rich. Our God and heaven is rich. Right? It's what you do with what God has given you, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. And what we find God do in his great riches is he becomes poor for us. He becomes poor. And the question we need to ask is as we look at the generosity of Christ, though he was rich to become poor for us, what are we going to do with this generosity? How are we going to respond to Christ? who is generous in giving all that he had for us, even his very life. Will we respond to the generosity of Christ with praise? Will we take time to ponder his grace that he has given to us? Will we choose to reflect Christ with our life and being generous to give to others in need? How will we respond to the generosity of Christ this Christmas? Secondly, we need to see the patience of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. The patience of Christmas. You get down into verse 25, and it's interesting here because it mentions this man named Simeon, who I'm very thankful for Simeon because we know very little about Simeon. I mean, he's just an average Joe. We don't know where Simeon was born, where he grew up. We don't know his occupation. We don't know his family. Like, we know nothing about Simeon. And seemingly out of the shadows of Christmas comes Simeon, and he has this important moment. All we know about Simeon is that Simeon waited. He waited for the Lord. That's what we know. It says that he waited for the consolation of Israel. Now the consolation, a lot of times we think that is a negative thing, like a consolation bracket when it comes to sports. But what it means when it says consolation of Israel, this is the comfort. The comfort. See, Simeon has lived his life and most scholars believe that Simeon is older because it talks about he's waiting. But at the same time, it says that 
God has promised him, you're not going to see death until you've seen the Lord Jesus, until you've seen the Messiah, the Savior. So a lot of the scholars believe that Simeon is probably a little bit older, an elderly person. He's lived a lot of life, and he's still waiting. He's waiting for the comfort that had been promised from the Old Testament. He's waiting for the, the salvation that has been promised through God in his word. And he is waiting, and he's waiting. And this is what we know. He sits there and he waits. Now, some of us know what it's like to wait at Christmas. Many of us find ourselves in the same posture of Simeon. We're in a time that feels dark or we're in a time that's confusing. Maybe we're in a time that we feel abandoned and we're literally waiting for the Lord. We're waiting for the Lord to... To, to breathe new life in our heart. We're waiting for the Lord to maybe change circumstances in our life. We're waiting on the Lord. Maybe for you, very personally, you're yearning and you're waiting for the Lord to return. So you can see that person who, who passed away this year. And you're longing for the Lord to return. So you can see that person. Or maybe you're you're longing for the Lord to change something in your life, and you were hoping that this Christmas would, would bring something different. You were thinking that this Christmas you would be engaged, or you'd get to be looking forward to being married, and you're still waiting. You're waiting for the Lord to provide that person for you. Or maybe you're celebrating Christmas today, and you've been waiting for a prodigal child to, to come home. You're waiting for him. If you feel like that then you know what Simeon feels like this very first Christmas. He's waiting on the Lord. And it's hard to wait. It's difficult to wait on the Lord. I love how the, the author and scholar C.S. Lewis talks about waiting in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia. He talks about that there's a, a land that has snow and, 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 and the curse of winter is on this land in Narnia. And it describes this curse as it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. It's always winter, but it's never Christmas. I mean, how, how many of you feel like that? You've been waiting on the Lord to bring that joy, to bring Christmas, but it's always winter. You're never experiencing the joy of Christmas. You're just always stuck in these cold, dark days. God would say, wait. Wait, I haven't forgotten you. And it should encourage you that Simeon is just an average person. And God hasn't forgot of him, forgotten about him. He hasn't. He remembers him. He remembers the promise that he's made to him. And so Simeon waits. Now the question is this, how do we wait well? If God is calling us to wait, and in multiple places in the Bible, it actually tells us that waiting for the Lord is a good thing. How do we do that? I mean, you, you look in the Old Testament. Lamentation says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The prophet Isaiah said, blessed are those who wait for him. And then later in the end of Isaiah, in chapter 49, it says, those who wait for me shall never be put to shame. So if God's word is true, which is what I believe and what we believe, God's word is true. He's telling us, you will not be forsaken if you wait on the Lord. No one who has ever waited on the Lord has been let down. Not one. And it's not going to start with you. It's not. So the question is not, will we wait? That's a part of Christian life. We wait. 
for the Lord. So how do we do that well? Well, I think Simeon waits on the Lord really well by doing two things. It says in verse 25 that he was a righteous and devout person. This is how he's waiting. He's not waiting for the Lord in cynicism. I'm just going to be angry and mad at the Lord as I wait because he's not doing what I want him to do. No. He waits righteously. And he is devout in his waiting. Now, when it says he's a righteous man, it doesn't mean that he does everything right. That, that Simeon never made a mistake and that's why he's righteous. No, this is speaking of a right relationship with God. It's speaking of Simeon understanding that though he makes mistakes, he can come to the Lord for the atonement and the forgiveness of his sins. He's a righteous man in right relationship with God. And he's a devout man. This means that he honors and reveres the Lord. That he knows God's word and he keeps God's word. This is what it looks like to wait well. We, we know that when we make a mistake in our waiting, we come to the Lord because he can forgive our sins. He is the one that makes a right relationship with us and God. We wait by being devout and knowing God's word and keeping God's word. This is what it looks like to wait well for the Lord. Let's wait well for him. Now, sadly, we, we mess this up a lot. Because we a lot of times think, well, if we just do A, then God will do B, and then we won't have to wait any longer. We'll quickly get to C. We, we rush through things so fastly. We, we, we live in a microwave society where we want things immediately. And God's word in multiple places is telling us, no, wait. Wait for the Lord. And understand that sometimes when we wait for the Lord, God's answers don't always match our expectation or our timing. Even the people right here during Simeon's time, they were thinking, God, you're going to come and comfort, you're going to come and fix things, you're going to come and remove sorrows. Politically, you're going to bring a king that's going to be the consolation, the comfort to Israel. That's what you're going to do. But God knew they needed something much more, something much greater. So their eyes were fixed, but they were fixed on something lesser. God knew what they needed most. And what they needed most wasn't political deliverance. What they needed most was eternal life and freedom from the enemy of sin. See, many times we think what we need most is physical health or financial assistance or a family reunion. But what we find in Simeon's life is what we need most is Christ. We need the Christ of Christmas. Maybe for some of us, the security that we're waiting for isn't found in a certain number in our bank account, but in the presence of Christ. Maybe the significance that we're waiting for, that we're hoping to find, isn't in the approval of others, whether that's our parents or a spouse or Facebook likes, but it's found in the acceptance of the almighty God. Now let me be clear. It's not that we can't or we shouldn't pray for physical healing or for an end to our loneliness or for political help. 
Now, there's actually passages that would encourage, encourage us to pray for those things. But first and foremost, what we need is a right relationship with Christ. We need Jesus in order to have the fullness of joy and the abundant life that we're longing for. If we don't have Christ, then anything apart from him is just superficial. And Jesus did not come to give a superficial fix. He came to fix things at its very core, at the very heart of all things. So let us wait faithfully on Christ, trusting in him. Trusting in his goodness, trusting in his love, trusting in his sovereignty, knowing that he will keep his promises. Let us rest in Christ this Christmas. Last, lastly, let's, let's look at the peace of Christmas. Let's look at the peace of Christmas from Simeon's song. Now, right before he sings his song in verses 29 through 32, this is a really odd moment. A really crazy moment. You see, we don't know if Simeon had a job in the temple or if he was just around the temple at that time. But he's been told and kind of encouraged by the Spirit, kind of led there to be in the temple to see Christ come. And as he comes into the temple, he has been told by the Spirit, like, hey, this baby over here, this baby is the Messiah. This is the Redeemer that you've longed for. Now, Mary and Joseph are there, and they're probably in a long line of moms and dads presenting their babies like they've been told to in the Old Testament. And this man, this elderly man, runs up and grabs their child and has this Lion King moment with like Simba lifting him up, and he sings this song over this child. This is weird. I mean, we, we, we might know of some, some sweet elderly ladies who would come up to a baby and kind of squeeze those cheeks and be like, oh, it's so cute. But to see an elderly man run and pick up your child and start singing a song over him, like, I just picture Mary and Joseph being like, hey, we got to, like, sanitize those hands first before you touch our child. Like, our child's just a few days old, and you're doing this? It's, it's a weird moment, Right? Men, specifically even older men, typically don't respond like this. But he does. And the reason he does is because he has found peace. He's found peace in the person of Christ. And that's what it says in verse 29. He starts his song and he says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. As he sees Jesus... He finds his peace. He finds his peace. Isn't that what all of us are longing for at Christmas? Aren't the long lines in the mall, aren't the presents under the tree really all a pursuit of peace? We look for peace in parties at Christmas. We look for peace in our family. We find peace in traditions. We're searching for it in all those different places. But the only problem is, the only permanent peace we find is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's found in him. And he says when he sees Jesus, now I can depart in peace. What would you require to say those words? What do you require in order for you to say, I can depart this Christmas season in peace? I can 
depart this Christmas day in peace. Would you say it's a change of circumstances, then I'll depart in peace? Or it's some kind of personal change in your, in your life? Is it some change in your husband or to, to have a husband? In Simeon's life, and this song shows us that the only true permanent peace that we're going to find is in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation that he gives us. And when he sees this child and he lifts up this child and sings to this child, he says, I have seen your salvation. He doesn't say, I've seen a glimpse of the salvation. I've seen a part of the salvation. No, as he looks at this child, as he looks at the God incarnate, he says, now I have seen the salvation of the Lord. This is where his peace is found. And this is where our peace will be found. It's found in Christ. So may we not give our peace out to others. We look to Christ, the Prince of Peace. A lot of times we, we look at others in our lives thinking they're going to give us peace. And we give them a, a key to our life, a key that hopefully will give us peace. And we do is we come to the key ring of our life and we look at our boss and we give him a key or her a key. And we're like, okay, if my boss does this, then that will unlock a, an area of peace in my life. Or I'll give this, this key of peace to my girlfriend or my boyfriend. And, and, and maybe if they do the right things and things I want, then they'll unlock the peace in my life. Or I'll give this key to my stockbroker or to the school I'm trying to get into. And we take a step back and we tell everybody, hey, if you'll just turn the key and use the key that, the way that I want you to, then I'll find peace. This isn't a good plan. Because all of these people will let us down. Every one of them. And the way we know that is because we let ourselves down, right? We've said that we're going to do better and we've failed ourselves. Or we, we've said we want to change things and we've even failed ourselves. And so how can we look at others and expect them to perfectly fulfill the, the peace that we long for when we can't even do it for ourselves? We can't. It's not a good plan to look to these things and these people to give us peace. Only Jesus can guarantee us peace. So let us this morning, let us today find peace in Jesus. Let us find peace in Jesus by repenting of our sin and placing our faith in him. Secondly, let us find peace in Jesus by praising him because we have seen the salvation of the Lord through our eyes of faith. Let us come to him and find peace today. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we confess that you are the Prince of Peace. You're the only one who can give us the peace that our heart longs for. You're the only one that has that key to our souls to give us peace first and foremost with you, the King of creation. The peace with, with others that we so desperately long for and even the peace within our own hearts that we need. So Lord, we look to you today. And we ask that you will allow us to see salvation of the Lord through our eyes of faith. And that means right now, if you haven't looked to Christ, you can look to him now and pray. And he will save you this Christmas day. That you can find peace because he became poor that you might become rich in salvation. And so pray to him now and he'll save you. And for those of us that know Jesus, 
and have seen the salvation of the Lord, then let's praise him. Let us praise him for what he has done, what he has done for us, how he has came to redeem us. Though he became poor, we found salvation through him. And let's praise him for that now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.